Hello everyone, it's Friday the 11th of November and welcome to episode 129 of the Kite Podcast with me, Will Evans. And me, Ben Eagle. We're talking about the AHDB today and its direction for the next few years. From promotion to exports and practical support to farmers, what is the strategy and how will it be undertaken? That's what we're going to find out today, hopefully. Well, and to learn more, we're joined today by Will Jackson, um, who is Divisional Director for Engagement and Strategy at the AHDB. We're also joined by dairy farmer Ed Towers from Braids Farm. Um, Ed also has a retailing hat. Our podcast producer and senior consultant at Kite, Becky Leach, is with us. And as always, we're joined by everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, who is indeed the biggest of the big guns, Chris Walkland. <laughs> uh, Chris, over to you for the Milk Market Report. Where are you this week? Well, I'm bringing you my report from inside a Monty Python sketch this morning because we've got AHDB on. And what I'd like to know is this. Having taken a levy of 0.06 pence per litre for the last umpteen years, ever since it started, in fact, what has the AHDB ever done for dairy farmers, eh? (laughs) Nothing. Well, I think you've got to be a bit fair, Chris. Do do quite a lot of um, knowledge exchange on farms. Okay, apart from knowledge exchange, what has AHDB ever done for farmers? Nout. Market intelligence? Exports. We couldn't do without that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Farm stuff, market intelligence. They go without saying. And exports? Well. Yeah, pretty good, but that's about it. That's what I reckon. Well, they do a bit of marketing, industry's reputation work, some of the market development stuff. We do need somebody doing this on behalf of all the industry, Chris. Mm. Educational stuff for kids, that's important. Yeah, I'll give them that. R&D? Well, obviously R&D. Genetics? (laughs) Okay, apart from knowledge transfer and market intelligence stuff, exports, R&D, marketing, reputational defence, consumer development, stuff with kids, R&D and genetics, what has AHDB ever done for dairy farmers? Nothing. I don't even know why we're bothering to have this Will bloke on today. Although, that said, perhaps he's going to tell us that things are changing. Hmm, we'll see. Before then, though, to the markets. And after weeks of giving a gloomy outlook, is there any good news this week? Well, last Friday after recording the podcast, I picked up some comment that the market may have bottomed. And I tentatively questioned whether we could call the turn in the written summary I do for Kite. But was I right? Well, yes, I was. And no, I wasn't. Butter prices flatlined this week, bounced a bit and and then dipped to where they were before. It's what used to be called a dead cat bounce. But we can't call it that now because cat-loving wokes get offended and ring in and cry. Then I get a BBB, a Big Becky bollocking. However... (laughs) <laughs> After seven weeks of constant decline, the EU butter and SP futures are up this week. So, huzzah to that! 
And there's also some positive movement on New Zealand's futures too. So where are we on prices? Well, the traded market for butter is around 5850 to 59 for immediate delivery, but quarter one prices are 57 to 58 euros. And skim is also weak prices below 3,000 euros. So these prices convert to a farm gate price of 36 to 37p. And what do we know about prices at that level? Well, you won't be producing much milk if that's all you're going to get for it. And I think this is a fundamental that the buyers have overlooked in their rabid efforts to drive prices down. But on the futures, well, as I said earlier, they have risen. EU butter futures have climbed a very decent 150 to 175 euros from December through to April and are back over 6,000 euros for quarter two. Uh, important psychological threshold there, I think. Uh, skim powder averages 3,100 and the combination of butter and skim converts to 40p. Still not great, but better than they were. Unfortunately, in Europe, the cheese market is still weakening, with the traders still bidding the market down. And what happens is that when butter returns fall, those factories in Europe that have a choice of making butter or cheese basically say, sod you, butter buyers. There's two ways to skin a cat and we'll divert the milk to cheese instead, which is what they are doing and which is driving up stocks and driving down cheese prices. And I'm um, sorry about the cat expression there again, Becky, more tears from the wokes. To give you some ideas on prices, spot mozzarella is at 4,300 euros, which is awful. But I'm told longer term contracts are much higher at 4,6 to 4,7 euros. But that only converts to 4,000 sterling. So Columbia and dairy partners won't be able to hold up their high 40 pence milk price level for long either. Edam and Gouda are four six euros and four three fifty for quarter one. And if that doesn't mean anything much to you, it's an equally crap price compared to where milk prices are and need to stay. The occurred, I'm told is as low as five 100 euros, and that would normally value mild cheddar at 4,600 sterling. It's not there yet by any stretch, but the pressure is still on downwards too. And so to cream in the UK, the cream price is all over the place. Not only is there a lot of milk out there at the moment, but there's a lot of fat in the milk too. On top of that, a lot of factories still seem to be having breakdowns and problems and causing all sorts of issues. So I've heard prices as low as £2.25 here and as high as £2.50 for export. I think the range is probably £2.25 to £2.35. So really not good considering we were at £3 not so long ago. And guess what? And I think you're probably there already. There's not a cat in hell's chance of liquid processors holding at 48 pence, let alone 50 pence at this sort of a level. Finally, spot milk is around 40 to 45p again with those breakdowns affecting things. 
So there you are. A slightly, slightly more positive report today on the futures. Unless you're a cat, of course, as you're either dead and bouncing, skinned or standing outside the gates of hell. Before you cat wokes pick up the phone and play hell, I'd like to emphasize that no cats, no cats at all were harmed in the making of this podcast. They're just expressions. So wipe away your tears and enjoy the rest of the show. Goodbye. Thank you, Chris. Um, and as regular listeners will know, he's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. Um, <laughs> very good, Will. That was, that was good. <laughs> anyway, Will, welcome to the podcast. Um, yesterday, you had your Shape the Future online seminar. Um, for those of us who weren't online for the day, can you take us through the main points of what was discussed, please? Yeah, so um, we did the, so as you say, well, so first of all, thank you for having me on and uh, thanks for the introduction, Chris. I mean, I think you pretty much did my job for me then, so, um, <laughs> so, I, so I, can, I can sit quietly. Um, I, I like the way you carried on with your John Cleese all the way through into, into the woke piece anyway. Um, so we are, um, so we've got, so what we were doing yesterday was the de- delivering the future of farming event. So it was basically the culmination of all the work that we've been doing over the last 18 months or two years. Uh, we went out to levy pairs over the last, uh, well, in the spring this year to ask their views on what we were doing at HDB, what was important to them. And really what we were talking about yesterday was what the result of that was. So what have the sector council gone away, taken that into uh, taken that into consideration and then what have they done with it? So what is that output going to be? So it, ju- just to start off, um, the sector council, so that's the group of um, levy payers that we have that represent all levy payers within AHDB, and they actually make the funding decisions. So they make the decisions on what we do as an organisation. And then it's my job and my team's job to go and put that into action and make it happen. So it's, th- it's those levy payers who are making the decisions on what we do. And so yesterday, they um, they basically put that forward. And what, what it falls down to, essentially, is three main pillars of work that feed into, that feed into reputation. And a lot, and, and it's that drive towards making sure that we've got the reputation of the dairy industry right at the centre of what we do. And so there are, three, there are three, three pillars. One is promote our reputation. Two is practical support for farmers. And three is the data and evidence to underpin that. And so about 75% of the work fits in those first two, promoting reputation and that practical support for farmers. So when you look at the promoting the reputation element of it, we talk about the consumer campaigns that we do. So a lot of the stuff that you did mention in the introduction there. So we've got the balance campaign that we work, we've got our education work, um, and that's a huge part of what we do to be able to make sure that people's attitudes are in the right place for, for dairy. And that also works in partnership with uh, with Beef and Lamb as well. So we're trying to make sure that there's this kind of wide halo effect and people have feel that there's a permission to consume when it comes to when it comes to products. So that's the um, that's kind of the reputation piece. Um, oh, and our exports work as well. Sorry, I can't forget that because that's a really, really important part of what we do as well. So there's marketing and the exports and that, that um, fighting misinformation as well. So, and we can go and talk about this, but we've had a lot of um, claims upheld against people like Oatly in terms of claims that they've made that have been wrong. And we put in advertising standards, standards authority complaints and basically they have to back down on it. So there's a, there's a big piece about, about protecting the reputation there. 
And that has to then, as we all know, has to be reflected back on farm. And we have to make sure that we have the, the underpinning to be able to deliver that. So that kind of practical support for farmers pieces is, again, really important. And we've got our strategic farm network and we've got 21 of farms that, um, that that feature in that. But that is about managing, managing back and working through our teams on the ground to be able to ensure that, you know, the people have got the right information to make the right decisions. And um, so again, you know, we that that's that's spread across the country. We work with Betty Laws Foundation, we work with Welsh Government on that. So we try and absolutely leverage as much as we possibly can to kind of get the sector in the right place with really, really um important information. So mock intelligence and I mean maybe I mean maybe Ed and other people um comment hopefully on how they found the mock intelligence work useful over the years to be able to help make decisions to be able to, to drive that. The third pillar around what we do is the data and, and evidence to underpin it. So it's all right us out there saying, well, OK, we're going to sell this great product. But unless we have the data and the hard evidence behind that to prove it, you know, we can't go out there and say we're very fond of saying that we're world class and the top of the pile and everything else. But if we don't have the information to be able to prove that and to be able to say, actually, you know, this is why we are, then then we're kind of, you know, we're selling a bit of a hollow, hollow thing. So the important thing is making sure we've got that right evidence to do it. And that kind of third pillar is made up of several things. So there's some of the some of the um, kind of the, the practical stuff like uh, like uh, e-medicine book and making sure that we've got the information there on on antibiotic usage and everything else um, through to and um, through to uh, some bits on animal welfare. But a huge part of this is around genetics as well. So the works that we do on on, um, on genetics and genomics, which actually um, skews that that uh, spending that pillar quite a lot because almost half of that goes on the genetics and genomics work that we do that again helps underpin and you can link that back to the environment and making sure that you know we've got the most impact from an environmental point of view and how we're helping to support that through facilitation so in, in a nutshell there's kind of, there's a there's a huge range of things that we do but what we've tried to do is make sure that we are prioritizing what levy payers said to us is most important to them and um, and that that's what ultimately meant that we've had to back off on some things, and there are some things that we're doing less of. So in terms of direct research and some of the some of the market intelligence that was a little bit wider and benchmarking, we've had to say, look, really, we've not got the resources to do everything. So we need to make sure we're concentrating things that make the the biggest difference. So um, that, in a nutshell, is kind of where we got to yesterday and what we were talking about. Yeah, I mean, following on from that, I suppose, is that what you've just said there? Is that part of the sort of broader process of reflection and change that's been going on for quite a long time with HB. I mean, I mean, it's a lot of discussion about HDB and its roles and responsibility over the last year or two um, amongst farmers and, and very much divides yeah. opinion. But can you can you give us some of the context behind that broader process? Yeah, I can. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, I, I get I get mixed opinions all the time as well, which is great. Sure constructive fe- constructive feedback is always a gift, isn't it? <laughs> um, but we um, and but it, it's really important to us actually. Um, joking aside, to hear back from levy payers because yeah. that's the only way that we're going to really get and and the process that we went through to go and out and get levy payers views you know it's the only time that a uk levy board's ever done anything like this on this scale and you know we weren't really sure where we were going to go into it so if we kind of rewind a little bit when we if you're going into kind of 2020 which seems like an absolute age ago now before covid was even a thing um we were we were under considerable pressure as an organization i think everybody's aware that we had um, that we had a ballot called in the potatoes and horticulture sector 
Um, and that was really the, the, um, the catalyst for us to have to really make change as an organisation. So Nicholas Sapphire came in as chair at that point and we said, right, OK, we need to, we need to make the organisation leaner, we need to make it more responsive and we need to make it more focused on things that, um, that levy pairs want. So as part of that, we went through, uh, we've gone through a big cost saving exercise. So including taking horticulture and potato out, but on top of that, um, we're looking at, uh, at saving around 7.8 million as an organisation um, and we've gone you know, we're about 38, 39% smaller as an organisation in total than we were two years ago. So we're a considerably different, leaner organisation, you know, it, right from the top to the bottom. So in terms of the top team, we had 20 people on there before, we're down to about 12 now. So we've had a real big contraction in terms of where we are as an organisation. We're in the process of looking to relocate offices at the moment because the place that we're at at the moment is too big for us. So we're looking to go to a smaller one, which again will save some money and will able, enable us to be able to put more back into the levy and directly, um, directly help levy payers. And ultimately, that's what we're here for. We're here to be able to drive drive value back for levy payers in whatever way that we can do. But as I say, that really important piece around hearing back from levy payers is so, so important for us. And, you know, if you go on the website, there are plenty of ways to feedback to us and throw our KE teams on the ground and everything else. So the context is that we knew we needed to change and adapt to actually be useful to levy payers in future and to be here as well, to be honest with you, because as you say, well, you know, there are a lot of people who are out there saying, actually, what's the point? You know, back to Chris's piece at the beginning, what is the point in the levy body? What do we actually do? And I think the other thing we probably need to do is make sure we're communicating effectively so farmers have got an actual idea about what we're doing. Because, you know, you talk about the marketing and export stuff, that's quite a long way from the farm gate. So how do we make sure we're linking that back into, you know, so everybody is aware of, of some of the value that we're adding? Ed, can we go over to you now? And welcome to the podcast. It's, it's good to have you here. Before we ask you um, your sort of view on all this, could you just give us a, an introduction to your good self? Us, yeah. I'm a dairy farmer from Lancaster and we um, have a branded product and we sell milk specifically for coffee shops um, all over the UK. How long, I was just going to ask Ed, how long, you know, what sort of spurred the uh, invention of Braid's milk, you know, where, where did it come from? How long have you been doing it? The invention of Braid's milk or Braid's barista milk um, was around 2015-16. We had a local delivery business which... Um, wasn't doing very well we weren't being valued for that um, local piece and we were looking at producing something that somebody wanted and we felt like we weren't doing that at the time so it really spurred out of out of necessity or out of you know struggling to retail the milk that we were producing so we bought some jerseys we blended that with our milk we changed how we processed and really focused on this niche of barista milk which 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 isn't with the rise of coffee shops i mean you drive down any high street there's just like there's more coffee shops than anything isn't it so i guess you sort of really that it was a very timely decision yeah you were there at the right time yeah yeah it was uh yeah really down to um to work with the family and my brother for, for developing that i was very much on the farm side looking after the cows making sure that we were producing quality milk with high health and welfare and we were also fit to show people around too so going back to um, AHCB, Ed, as a dairy farmer and a processor, what's your feedback on all of this? Do you think it delivers? The million-dollar question, do you think it delivers? <laughs> <laughs> no pressure at all with Will on the call. Do it's you all think on it, you now. <laughs> do you think it delivers good value for money? 
Well, for me personally, um, I know how much I pay a, a year as a levy and I have been getting engaged, been getting going to the events and I feel like I've definitely had value for money out of it, whether everybody in the industry is engaged as, as much as I have. And I think also, you know, for for um, to have somebody there or a body there to deal with issues that farmers or dairies can't do, there's a gap there. There's definitely stuff in the industry that, individual farmers can't do because we're small or medium businesses and dairies can't do because they're they're too busy focusing on what serves their own business well so there is an opportunity there um and i'm glad somebody's doing it and i think we'd miss them if they weren't yeah well you mentioned earlier um some of the changes you're going to be making and there are some things you will be doing less of perhaps we could just um delve into that a little bit deeper now i guess the pot is only so big isn't it so what what are some of the things you're going to be slightly less focused on perhaps yeah so i I think maybe just to give a a little bit of context in terms of why the why the pot's a little bit smaller as well so we've got um i mean the levy the levy hasn't gone up for a considerable period of time now you know we're talking we're talking a decade since the levy went up and um our buying power over that period is you know is reduced by nearly 40 percent in terms of um so we've been constantly trying to evolve to make sure we're delivering as much as we possibly can for the levy that comes in. And then earlier on this year, there was a change to our VAT status, which actually meant that we lost another million pounds worth of levy because we couldn't rate regain VAT in the same way that we could previously. So you're right, well, there's only so much you can do with the money and that's where the prioritization comes in. You've got to work out, and we sit here all the time and say, right, how are we going to drive? What is in the best interest of levy payers? First of all, what do levy payers want us to do? And then actually, what do we need to do? Um, and how can we do that? And so that's where this kind of, this focus around reputation, around driving exports, marketing, and that side of things coming out as a really, really, and the evidence behind that is, is really the part of it. So kind of as I talked a little bit to at the beginning, you know, some of the research that we've done previously, we won't be looking at doing kind of we won't be looking at commissioning ourselves in future we've got a real good um we've got a real good backlog on the on the website and so what we'll look at doing is trying to utilize what we've done so far and then collaborate with others in future so we're not trying to necessarily row our own boat and you know there are so many academic institutes out there and everything who are doing a lot of this so why would we try and do that and i think that ed Ed mentioned in his thing you know we're we're here to do things that individual levy pairs can't or the market isn't picking up so in in terms of that area of things I think we'll probably we'll do we'll do a little bit less some of the benchmarking and the and again you know these are you know and an organization like kite like others out there you know there are people out there who are doing things now that weren't done years in uh, quite a few years ago so we've got to make sure we're not stepping on that so some of the benchmarking will be repaired back to just make sure we're producing the evidence that's required to be able to support the reputation um, and um, another thing is um, people in agriculture. So the, the kind of labour question we asked in the survey came out uh, came out bottom. So we're going to be winding all the work back in terms of that. Apart from we've got the Agri Leader Program, which is a little bit more about engagement, which um, which will continue to try to will try and operate. But away from that, the people in labour side, the labour side of things, will be winding down as well. So they're kind of some of the examples of things that we will be doing less of in future. And you know, and we. That one of the things is we know all these things are important to the industry. So it's not that we, we, we're just saying, all right, well, that's not important. We're not bothered. We're not going to do it anymore. We're going to say, right, okay, well, who else is out there doing it? So are there any other organizations that can take some of this work on? You know, is it, is it a government thing? Is it DEFRA? You know, is it other organizations? So that we can, uh, we make sure we can support them. 
And what we're going to have is a real good team of experts as well. So, you know, we can work with those academic institutes with their, with TIA um, on, on the on the um, on the training side of things. Mm. So, um, but we don't just necessarily do it ourselves. Yeah, collaboration's key, isn't it? It is, yeah, and I mean that—that's the only way that we're going to make sure that we drive uh, that we drive this sector and the industry forward. We've got to collaborate because no one entity can do it on their own, can they? Whether it's us, whether it's the NFU, whether it's um, whether it's Kite, whoever it is, we need to work together to be able to deliver it, and um, and you know we're bang up for that. Can I ask a question, Will? You've talked about academic uh, institutions taking on, a, you know, doing their own R and D and not wanting to duplicate some of that will be commercially funded and given that you know certainly from a dairy sector we want to well from all agricultural sectors for that matter we want to remain internationally competitive you know we heard on um you know one of the board uh, discussions at uh, dairy day that you know that they see certainly from a dairy perspective that we could be exporting and that's where you're putting your focus so how do we make sure we don't stall on you know gains in productivity gains in expertise in the sector if if we're losing some R and D spend, I think that I think that that is a bit around the collaboration bit, Becky. Because we and and so we we've done we've done research and we have done some research and, and development o- over time. And um, but we we've not been the only people who've been doing that. I think one thing that we can add in is that kind of and you said you talked about independence there, and that's the bit that we have. That's that's one of our unique points in the fact that you know we've not got a commercial interest, we've not got a dog in any race. We are. We are truly independent. And I think that some pieces that we can do is around sense checking, around pulling that evidence together and making sure that we are, you know, that we're on the right track. And and whether that's helping inform government policy, whether that's working with other, you know, other other whether it is academic institutes or whatever it is. But I think that, you know, we've not got a monopoly on any sort of knowledge at all. There are so many, so many organizations out there that have, and we want to play a part in that tapestry and make sure that we're adding value. So I don't think the fact that we're changing and spend around changes that. You know, there's 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 so many good organizations out there. We're just going to make sure that we're all working together for for the greater good. I'm really glad to see that you've kept your northern roots talking about having a dog in the race. I reckon uh, our, yeah. our southern exactly. colleagues would have talked about horses in races, but thanks well, for that. Yeah. <laughs> not, 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 not up here. I'm, I'm just outside Leeds at the moment, so I'm up, up, up in the real world up here, Becky. <laughs> well done, Will Jackson. Don't, don't let them loose on my cats, will you? <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. They're only interested in rabbits up here. Well, there was a bloke. There's a bloke writing in British Dairy and called Walkland. He's not related to me, and the bloke's a bit of a prat. But he was accusing <laughs> AHDB management of get this uh, navel gazing, too much navel gazing over the last few years, and also being politically stymied. Uh, do you accept both of those criticisms? So I guess AHDB management means me, doesn't it? um so so i um i think if i'm honest chris i think that we've had to have a period where we've been concentrating on what we do because i think we'd have been doing a disservice to everybody if we just carried on kind of blithely um pushing pushing outwards and not considering are we fit for purpose are we doing the right thing so i think there had to be a period where we said actually let's let's stop and look internally let's carry on trying to deliver as much of the external stuff as we possibly can but let's make sure we are the right fit and that we're doing it in the right way because we could have rushed through this so we could have had you know we could have done over six months we could have turned around and said right okay we're just going to do this this and this and it'll be fine 
Um, but we didn't want to do that. We wanted to make sure we considered it. We wanted to make sure that the sector councils had all the information to make the decisions. And I think some people would say, and maybe this uh, this relation of yours um, felt you were one of the one of these people that we've taken too long. You know, it's been you, you did the vote in the spring. Why is it taking till now to it do? It has well, taken an age. It, it, and, and I don't. And I'm not arguing, Chris. I think that it has taken it has taken a while to get to. But I think we wanted to do it properly because we we were at a position with HDB where there were people questioning a very and probably rightly so about whether we should exist or not. So if we had rushed this through and tried to do it in the wrong way and come to a bit part solution, then we may have made things worse rather than better. So I think it was better. And, you know, I'm going to say this because I am the management um, that, um, that we did it in the right way and that we, we took our time and did it. Now, what it is about, is about is actually putting that into action and delivering it. But what I would say in the meantime is none of this is stock, Chris. You know, the, the export, we were at CL the other week, the biggest, the, the biggest food show in the world. We've got a dairy stand there. We're out. We were talking to importers and exporters. The strategic farms have been running all the time that we've been doing this. Our market, Eat Balance marketing campaign has been out there and delivering. So it's not as though we've stopped. We've carried on pushing. But what we've been trying to do in the background is make sure we're focused and we're fit for purpose. And I really believe that's what we're doing now. So I, that's what I'd say to um, to the other Waterland. And are you going to be less politically stymied going forward than I perceive you? So, so what do you mean? What do you what what do you mean by that, Chris? I just I think it's pretty common knowledge that George Eustace didn't like the AHDB levy boards, and the perception, whether right or wrong, is that there was too much influence from Defra, or AHD management were too frightened of DEFRA's shadow. Yeah, I mean, so I, I, I mean, I see that a bit differently. So we're a we're, we're an arm's length government um, government body. So we are. So DEFRA ultimately do oversee, oversee AHDB, but they have very little input into what we do. Very, very little input at all. They, um, you know, we, we we try and maintain a relationship with DEFRA because that's important for us. You know, and it's important for us to be able to influence and do the right thing. Um, and we've got a pretty good working relationship with them. But DEFRA at no point turn around and tell us what to do, what not to do, or, or anything along those lines. So we try and make sure that we are, and, and I think probably DEFRA at some point would say we've been a bit of a pain because the evidence that we've provided probably hasn't um, hasn't painted the narrative all the time that that would have wanted that people would have wanted to see. So I think that um, and you know we've got no control over who you know who any minister is or any secretary of state where it is within within um, within government. What we've got to do is operate in the best way we think to be able to deliver back for levy payers. Um, you know, I was at the Afro Committee last week, um, oh, sorry, earlier on this week, and um, and giving evidence to the Afro Committee about food security. You know, and that was that that was the the Afro Committee scrutinising government policy. And, you know, and some of the things that we were providing evidence for, Defra, I'm sure that Defra wouldn't have been particularly enamoured about because you know there was some there was some of the SFI stuff that we fell back on that that isn't that um, isn't that complementary in terms of the evidence that sits there. So I think that you know we we try to all the time to aim to um, deliver back for for levy payers and not get caught up in the political element of it. I think one thing that levy payers probably do get frustrated about, and maybe there's a slight lack of understanding about, is that we can't lobby. So the one thing we can't do as an organisation is lobby. We can't lobby government because of our position as a um, as a as an armed government body. So I think there's sometimes a bit of frustration there that we're not able to bang the table quite as hard as others. But what we can do is those people who can bang the table, we can say, right, here's the evidence. Go away and, and do what you want with it. 
So um, I'd like to, I mean, you, you tell us, right? I'll come back on in however long and you can tell us whether you still think we are politically stymied and I am still navel-gazing and we can, we can see okay. in six okay. months' time. Before then, though, a question to both of you. Well, what's the procedure for assessing whether farmers would agree to a levy increase? And, Ed, would you support a levy increase? Does Ed want to go first? <laughs> Ed, go first. It's it's clear that, um, you know, in, in HDB are keen to let us know. It's on the first page of, of the paper that they put out to do with shaping the future that, you know, the spending power has gone down 37.6%, it says in there. Um, you've just mentioned 38, 39% smaller as a business. And and, and this, this figure around for, hovering just around 40% of lack of ability to do stuff with the money that we used to have 10 years ago. And I expect most of that has come more recently than in the last seven years. So it's it's an impact. And for me, this change of change of direction if anything isn't really a change of direction it's more of a streamlining it's saying look we've got it's pointing out to the farms look we've got 40 percent less spending power than we do even though that that's not changed um and that we've and that we've and that we can't do everything we used to do rather than doing anything particularly different or new and if you were doing a lot particularly different or new we'd probably be saying well why the hell haven't you been doing that before um so so um yeah that you know there was there's kind of three extremes to the question isn't there should ahdb exist yes or no should we pay the same as we're paying now or should we be paying more is is the other end of that in, the, in, in that spectrum what's um, your what's your view on that as a levy pair <sighs> for putting you on the spot a bit yeah i've you know i've, I've done the maths on okay well what would it be if we were spending 40 percent more i think i would still get value um do I think I could spend that money myself in my own business in, in my own way? Yes, undoubtedly. Um, but there is, like I said before, there still is a role for what individuals, individual farms and, and government or dairies aren't doing. So, um, yeah, do, do I feel like, all right, yeah, here you go, have another have another thousand of my pounds? No, of course I don't. Um, would that, be, you know, sometimes what's, what we want and what's best for us aren't the same things. Um, so if I can if I can dodge the question there, I'll happily do that. That's as very philosophical as I was expecting mm. from you, Ed Towers, on a on a <laughs> Friday morning. Thank you very much for that. So in terms of in terms of where we are, so you asked about the mechanism in terms of the way the way it works is that that practically the sector council will make a will make a recommendation to um, through our main board to DEFRA for any levy change that might come. So what a lot of, a lot of people probably don't realise is that at the beginning of every financial year the levy is reset. So, so we actually have a, have the um, each year, although the levy hasn't changed, it's reconfirmed at the same rate. So each year it goes through the same process. If there was if there was to be a levy increase, that's the way it would work. It would be a recommendation by the sector council, but the sector council aren't going to do that. Just then, um, I'm just going to rock up and do that. Um, I think what that what the sector council will do is they will come out next year and start to to ask the question that that will that will's just asked is. And um, how do levy payers feel about this? You know, is there, you know, is there the want to be able to do that? I think that we've already touched on it, but there's definitely it's obvious that we can do less the more time goes by, and that there isn't a, there isn't a change to the levy. And um, so, but 
we want to make sure that we're getting the views of, um, and this applies to actually all of our sectors, not just dairy. We want to be out there and getting and, and talking to industry and finding out what the view is. I think the other thing that we've got to do is make sure that we're very clear about what that what that will go on. So if there is, if there was ever to be a lift in the levy, what benefit will that drive back to levy payers? And I think that some of it, you know, some of it at the moment, if we're being completely honest and realistic, is going to be to make sure that we can maintain the same level of service that we deliver now. But actually, on top of that, then what more can we do? You know, does it does it is it more on the marketing side of things? Is it more on exports? You know, what do we need? You know, is it from um, looking back to farm? So I think that's some of the conversations that we're going to have to have. So I would imagine that as we get into 2023 now, some of those discussions will start to take place hmm. um, about what the appropriate level is. Yeah, I mean, let's turn towards marketing and promotion a bit in terms of responsibilities. I I think it was the We Eat Balance campaign, I think you mentioned earlier on. And obviously, there are these big flagship campaigns, but there also is a lot of stuff that um, commercial commercial parts of the sector are, are doing as well. And I suppose my question is, what is that line of responsibility between AHDB and, and wider industry, from your point of view, Will? Um, I think it plays. I think it plays a part. So, it, so interesting. So, if we take the balance campaign for example, that is about attitudinal change amongst um, amongst consumers. And um, we've actually we've changed track over the last few years because we used to have. Um, you'll remember things like the the scrumptious Department of Dairy Affairs and and the, and the other ones, which were more aimed at shifting volume. Well, what we've done is we've kind of changed tack now, and it's about changing attitude to people and trying to lift attitudes um, to how people perceive dairy, to, to how they perceive the way that dairy is um, is is produced and, and the work that goes on behind it. So we're, we've actually changed our position because, and this plays into that tra- tapestry that you're talking about, Ben, in terms of the fact that it, it, processors and retailers have got the ability to be able to push volume of product. And that's what they do. You know, that's their lifeblood in terms of selling product. We, there's very little that we can do with our very, very modest marketing budget to do that. But what we can do is we can look at the attitudinal side of things and look at how people are viewing it. And so that helps prop up a slightly different angle of it. And, you know, we try and work with industry on this. So there's been Dairy UK have been, have been involved in this. And, you know, we talk to the processors to make sure that we actually fit into a place that is in a way unique. So the balance campaign has been really thought through to try and plug a gap in the marketing uh, in the marketing um, outlook that isn't been done by other people. So I think it's really important that we keep assessing about actually where we can make that impact. And um, and Eat Balanced is back on uh, is back on TV in December, and um, and we try and also run at times of the year where it's going to have the most impact. So we all know that January comes around and various things. So we try and run our campaigns at times in the year that are going to deliver the biggest boost. And so we've had, uh, we, and it's not always on TV. So we've got some of the background stuff that happens on social. So while we're going through a cop at the moment, there's various things that we're doing in the background to be able to push things in a slightly different way. So it's making sure that we are, um, we're adding to what's happening elsewhere in the supply chain. Does, yeah. uh, does that answer your question? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I, mean, I, I just want to finish just by, um, by looking at challenges and opportunities generally for, from both of your points of view, and I'm turning to both, both of you here, um, Ed, first, I suppose in in the context that we're in at the moment, what is your biggest challenge? But relating this, relating this, I suppose, to what the HTB could actually do tangibly for you as a business and support you um, through that. Well, the biggest biggest challenge for me, and probably the biggest challenge for most dairy farmers when they actually really look at it, is is myself. 
Um, so we're all small, medium businesses. It's, it's for me, the biggest challenge is, you know, my own leadership, my own growth, my own resilience, because they're small businesses and, and they're so pivotable, usually on that one or two people that, that own them and, and, or, or, or run them. And so for me, the agri-leadership section um, really leads into my biggest challenge. The other challenges that we have or I come across, you know, especially selling into that coffee market are um, a lot of the noises that milk alternatives make and some of the some of the stuff that um, that they put out there, which HDB have found not to be true. And then they've, they've you know, got them to take it down. But it kind of feels like the, them sort of companies have already had the cookie. Um, and so fair enough. OK, yeah, you've, you've challenged them and taken them down. But it would be, you know, it it feels like it feels like, OK, yeah, well, they've, they've just they've eaten the cookie and then they've had a little slap on the wrist. And it's not like the cookie's back in the jar, is it? You know, it's gone and swallowed. Um, it feels feels frustrating that they can do that. Fair enough. Um, they've been caught, but there doesn't seem to be any sort of penalty. And so that when I'm selling into that market and they're still being lauded as, um, as you know, this, this great sustainable alternative and, and, and some of the stuff that they've been saying has been lies. Um, it's, you know, that rhetoric's still there, that that's still in the customer's minds. Um, even though some of what they've been saying has been proven to be completely false. Can I just pick up on one point that Ed made there? Um, and we haven't really touched on it and, but actually, from a podcast perspective, it comes up nearly every other week, and that is sustainability. You know, environmental sustainability. Will can you just talk through what you know what dairy farmers on the ground are going to see from AHDB in in that sort of respect? Yeah. So, um, so from from an environment and sustainability point of view, we've been there's been some uh, some pieces of work that we've been doing with industry in terms of dairy roadmap and various other things. But what we've done just recently is we've had a kind of an, an independent analysis on what we've been doing from an environment point of view, um, and actually where we can have the biggest impact. Because again, it, it's kind of it's a little bit like I was talking about research earlier on. There's so much happening in the environmental space and the sustainability space that it's almost impossible to keep up with what's happening. So I think there's a bit of a facilitation role that we can play within within that area to to, to make sure that we are you know that every that people are joined up. So this isn't necessarily about being out on farm telling people exactly what to do and what not to do uh, you know we aren't we aren't consultants we aren't a, a consultant it's actually what can we do in the background to join these things up and the dairy roadmap's probably a good example of a piece of work that we've done so far in terms of laying laying some laying some of the, the issues out there and what can be done about them so i think what you'll see is us trying to work with others to be able to make sure that we're, we're joined up and that we're um as an industry again and i mean i feel like i'm repeating myself a little bit but making sure that we're um that everybody's at the right at the table at the right time to put the bits in that they need to be able to move forward. So we don't, and again on the environment, I don't think it's really our place to be able to, to you know to be delivering research on sequestration or whatever else it might be. Our job is there. And there's there's this kind of bit of evidence and independence bit that we can do as well. So I think that you know it's a, a and this is one of the areas that the sector council so environment didn't score as well on the um on the survey that we did in the spring. Uh, but the sector council felt that this was an area that they couldn't overlook and that they needed to show a little bit of leadership on. And so it's the one area where they've probably gone slightly against what came back from Mavi Payers. 
because the feeling is that if we don't get that right, then, you know, we can almost forget the rest of it. You know, you can forget your marketing, your exports. If we've not got our credentials in the right place, then we're in a whole load of trouble. So that we will continue to do some operation in this area, um, but it will be it will be in the background, joining things up, sense checking and making sure it works from that point of view. Mm. Okay. Um, and a, a question. I guess. I guess. To, I guess. To both of you, we'll finish with this one. Um, where's the biggest opportunity for HDB going forward? Do you think, Will? Um, that's a really good question. Will, where's the biggest opportunity for us in the future? I think. I think the biggest opportunity for us is to get as um, get as close to levy pairs as we possibly can. I think that we've probably we've had a period where we've probably and somebody described it uh, to us as we've um, there at the farm gate and we're at the end of the drive, and actually that you know that they, they can see us but they can't touch us. We're not kind of we're not tangible to them. So I think that one of our biggest opportunities is getting as close to levy pairs as we possibly can, and and making sure that people are are aware of what's happening and can get involved. Because we want, and, and back to something that Ed was saying earlier on, you know, he talked about the agri-leader side of things. There are, as, as everybody here knows, there's a whole range of, of levy payers from really big guys to really small and people, and, you know, people with all different types of businesses. And so it's really difficult for us to actually come up with something that, that suits everybody and delivers for everybody. But I, we feel that with what we're doing now, that we've got enough of an offering that everybody can take a little bit of something out, out of what we do. So I think our biggest opportunity is getting closer to farmers and then growing what we've laid out here now. So mm. this is quite simple. It's three pillars. These are what the work we're going to do on. So now I'd like to see, I'd like to think that we as an organization now are at our leanest point and that we can grow back. You know, can we bring more revenue in? Can we look at working with government more? Is there more we can do to be able to supplement the the, the core levy? So I think getting closer to farmers and then growing the organization is, is probably our biggest opportunity. Okay. And would you would you agree, Ed? Uh, I don't know, like saying as close to levy payers as they can. What I don't want HDB to do is to take my money and then spend my money convincing me that it was a good thing taking my money. (laughs) 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 You know, for me, me, I don't necessarily need them to be close. They've got a balance between convincing levy players that it's the right thing to do to be paying the levy or to be paying more or to have HDB existing at all. But to spend a lot of the money um just justifying their own existence is 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 a waste um what i want to see is them creating value feel the value coming back into the business and it's a it's a strange balance for hdb to make to you know their customers are the levy players because they take they take the money off them um but the activities that they should be doing maybe aren't always as close to the levy players as as sometimes um sometimes they should be so i think that's a that's a that's a balance that they've got to work out but you know it, it seems stupid that's money's just being spent convincing me that it's a good way to spend the money yeah i know it's a really good point Ed, and 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 that maybe that's my clumsy clumsy language this morning i wasn't I, the intention that what wasn't that we would spend money justifying our existence and what we are because we can't do that we have to spend money on delivering value and that's what we want to do we just want to make sure that we're um that we are delivering in the right way for levy payers. Some of that, as you say, will be at a distance from far, from the farm gate. But when we are talking, when we are um, working with levy payers on market intelligence, on strategic farms, on whatever else it might be, 
that we're getting a, as wide a spread as we possibly can is what I guess so yeah so our intention is not to spend money on telling people how good we are it is about being good and then that filtering through and people saying oh what a great job you're doing and if we get to the stage where people are turning around and saying we're doing uh we're not terrible then I'll be in a really really happy place because I think <laughs> you're I mean, not terrible I think we're not terrible that's what we go for with this podcast. I, 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 yeah, I guess. But I, th- I think that I, I really, that one of the challenges that, that we have is that, you know, everybody's got a view on how they think the yeah. should be spent. So it's kind yeah, of, yeah. so as long as I, I know I do joke, that isn't, we want everybody to really appreciate what we do and be really, really positive about it. But um, yeah, some, that, that's what I think you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I think if they feel the value, then actually yeah. the, the money doesn't, you know, the, you, you don't begrudge it, do you? But you, you know, it's... That virtuous we, circle. I, we I want think, people um, to be able to identify with at least one, you know, at least one thing that we do. So can mm. people, you know, can can any farmer say, right, okay, no, it's the market intelligence. That's the bit that I like out of HDB or it's the marketing or the exports. I think yeah, that's yeah. somebody been able to feel some value out of what we do. Mm. I, think, was I think though, if 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 your if your aim is to is for you know people to tell you that they don't think you're terrible, you're in the wrong job because it's right that farmers put pressure on you. It's right that farmers <laughs> or, or industry commentators yeah. like Mr. Auckland, whoever he may be, put pressure on you to <laughs> make sure that you're make sure that you're sharp and saw that you're yeah. doing good work, that you're not that you're not wasting your time. And so, especially when that money is taken from us we then want to get as much out of that as we can therefore we're gonna we're gonna put pressure on you to make sure that you you're not because you could you know your customers will pay you whether whether they want to or not and so it could be a situation where them sort of levy boards get very lazy and that's exactly the opposite to what we want and so you're gonna get you're gonna get sticks and stones thrown at you and that's right to keep you on your toes so you don't get lazy Absolutely, Ed. and 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 I and I, I accept that entirely. And I, I wouldn't want to be in a position where we weren't getting, where we weren't getting criticised and we weren't getting scrutinised because that you're absolutely right. You know, people have to pay the levy, so we have to be able to to be able to explain why and what the and what the value for that is. So I would, I, I am under no illusions. Everything you know, and, and and believe me, been in this job for four or five years now, as I have been. That um, that level of um, of constructive um, constructive feedback will continue and you know I'm bang up for that I'm bang up for that and I want to have these conversations and I want to you know I, the more the, the more difficult conversation we're able to have the more we can find a way through so I, I, I agree with you entirely I, I don't think that's and, and that's why I kind of made the, the joke about not being terrible because it's the it's making sure that we are um, that we are you know that we are feeding back to levy players that we are answerable accountable and that with driving some value, which I believe we are. Don't apologise, Will. It's the same level of bar we set for the Kite podcast. <laughs> it really if it's is. not terrible, we're doing good. <laughs> what we say week in, week out. Uh, I think I'm going to get. I think I'm going to get back on Monday now. My director of communications is going to say to me, "What the blooming?" Just said you'd had a long week. Uh, they'll, not, they'll not let me out again. I'll not be allowed back on again. They'll be, they'll be saying I'll be, I'll be under lock and key when I get back. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's all we have time for today. But a very big thank you to our guests, Will Jackson, Ed Towers, Chris Walkland, and podcast producer Becky Leach. And I'm going to shoehorn one more Life of Brian reference in. Oh. Blessed are the cheesemakers and all manufacturers oh. of dairy products. <laughs> on fire, Will. On fire. <laughs>
<laughs> Thank you very much for listening. We will be back with you next week. But for now, it's goodbye from all of us here. <laughs>